So the season we are considering in these sermons, the seven last words of Jesus on the cross, or what is known as the seven last words, the seven last sayings that were recorded that Jesus spoke while he was being crucified. And today we're focusing on Jesus' words when he said, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. He spoke these words to a criminal who was being executed next to him. This is a criminal who put his faith in Jesus and he was given the promise of eternal life with Jesus. And so with this, we are going to be addressing today one of the, just the age-old question of faith. What happens when we die? Now, I think that people of faith have overemphasized this question about what happens when you die. I tend to prefer the reality, the present reality of Jesus Christ alive in our, in our lives, uh, uh, experiencing God today such that eternal life isn't just a future thing, but a present reality for every person of faith. And I love to emphasize that. But the question about what happens when you die is still an important question because most people die. And, I, and I've been doing some research on this, and the death rate is still hovering right around 100%. A good friend of mine used to love to say that. Um, so follow the science, folks, on this one. Um, so if you think that you or someone you love might die someday, this is a relevant message for you. Um, but culturally, I mean, as a culture, we're, we, we are very distant from death in a lot of ways. In my work, in what I do, I'm sometimes with people who are dying as they, as they pass. I work with first responders who see death and trauma in a, maybe in different ways or more frequently. But most people can go about their days and not think much about death or their own mortality and, and honestly, we, we are in a very medicalized society. Uh, we're living, we, we live a long time. You know, the, the life expectancy for humans in the year 1900 was just about 30 years. And now it's, it's, in, it's over 70 years. So it's more than doubled in the last 120 years, our life expectancy. So we can expect to just live a longer time. And... Perhaps, though, you know, this season of pandemic has caused us to think a little bit more about mortality, a little bit more about, you know, serious illness. One of the ways that we track this thing is by counting deaths. And whether we do that well, overcounting, undercounting, the point is, you know, we know people who have, who have died, people we, we loved, and family members, and people in our church. So I think maybe we have a heightened sense of mortality. Um, but in a lot of ways, you know, you could go a lot of your time and ignore it. But man, we, we gathered a couple weeks ago for an Ash Wednesday service, and this room was jammed with people who willingly lined up and got ashes on their body as a sign of their mortality. And I looked them in the eye and say, you know, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Repent and believe the gospel. That, you know, we are just formed of the materials of this earth, and we are... Uh, destined to return 
to dust and only by God's grace do we have life and do we have any hope of eternal life and life beyond the grave. And so we're going to focus on this this morning. And it may seem counterintuitive, but the more we embrace our mortality, the more we can really appreciate God who took on human flesh. The more we can appreciate that Jesus was obedient to death, human death on the cross, and to understand him in his way and his kingdom, that we are meant for so much more than this temporary life. And so that's what we're going to explore today. Let us pray as we begin. Father, I'm just, uh, I'm just so grateful for every person who is here in this room and those who are, are listening in the sound of my voice. We together seek you right now. I pray that you would teach us. God, you are so much greater than we are. Your ways are so much beyond our ways. And yet you make yourself known. Yet you reveal yourself to us, just mere mortals, that you show us your way. And I pray that during this time, as we reflect on your word, that in a deeper way, in a more meaningful way, we might understand your heart and follow and obey you and give you all the glory that you deserve. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so two aspects of, of Jesus' words here when he says, uh, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. Um, two aspects of this that are important for us that I hope would motivate us today. The first is that what Jesus said was certain. It was certain. He said to this criminal, truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise. He uses the word amen. It's the same word. Amen, it's true, you can believe it, you're going to be with me. You can have amazing assurance of your faith. And this is something that we, as followers of Jesus, we, we believe, but it baffles people who don't have faith. They can't comprehend how we can be so confident and so assured of our status with God and Jesus, that we are in his hands in life and death, that our faith is real and true. People will even criticize Christians for this. You know, oh, you're so arrogant. How can you be so confident that you're right and other things are false? And, and even be made fun of for that. But we know it. And you have Christians like, um, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, that not even life or death, nothing in heaven and earth, there is no power that can separate you from the love of Christ when you are in Christ Jesus by faith. Nothing can separate you. That brings about an amazing confidence. And it's not that we are self-confident or cocky or overconfident. We are confident in the God who gives us that assurance. This criminal was given assurance. And, and again, we, we see there's two criminals there, and they have the same two reactions to Jesus that everybody has to God, essentially. You have one who is suffering and sees the brokenness of the world and his own failure and sin and says, you can't be God. You know, are you, are you the Messiah? Then just do something. Stop this. Save it. And, and does not have faith. Just mocks Jesus. And you have the other criminal who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he puts his faith in a Jesus who's being crucified, who's been humiliated, who is dying, but who he believes somehow he is given faith to trust in that Jesus, that his kingdom would be lived out in this world. 
and in the life to come. And he's trusting Jesus. So every person looks at the world we live in, sees the brokenness, you see your own failures, you just see violence and you see uh, horrible things in the world and you say either there is a God whose kingdom is at work or it's not there. They, they really represent all, of, represent all of humanity. But what a remarkable faith that is. Believing in the dying Jesus and he himself suffering and dying. Believing God's power to save. And especially somebody who is just so bad. Maybe you could have faith, as, as many people believe, well, if I'm good enough, then God will save me. If I do enough right things, then God will take care of me in this life and maybe in the life to come. And many people believe that. This criminal could not possibly believe that. You, you could try to atone for all the bad things you've done, but when you're nailed to a cross, it's really hard to do. It's hard to accomplish a lot of good works when you're dying and realizing how hopeless and sinful you are. All he's doing is admitting his own guilt. But time and time again, we see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ who were sinners. They were failures. They, he was, Jesus was known as a friend of sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, outcasts. He saved a, basically a crook like Zacchaeus, a, a violent man named Saul, who we know as Paul, uh, someone like Peter, one of his disciples, who betrayed him also faith. It, it's not the people who get it right. It's the people who know they've got it wrong and they are relying purely on the grace of God to save them. Well, that's good news. There's hope, there's hope for you. There's hope for me. Because it's not how well you lived life, but who you trust to save you. Um, that is a certainty. Because it's based on God's grace, I can have so much more confidence than if it was based on me. And most religious systems are based on walking the right path, uh, doing the right deeds, and pleasing God enough that somehow he will accept you. We were uh, traveling a few years ago visiting one of our pre-church mission partners. We were on the Arabian Peninsula. And we were learning about one of their uh, Muslim neighbors that they had who would walk around with a clicker. And when she would do good deeds, she would click, good deed, reach in her pocket, click. And if she did something not so much, she'd click away, and she'd keep score all day. And some days you look at the clicker and say, oh, I'm doing pretty good today. And other days say, oh, I should do some good things so I can click, click, click on the good deeds and, and somehow get there. And that was her worldview of how she could approach God by doing enough good things. And again, this thief is not doing good things. He's being executed for crime. But he can have certainty because it's not about him. It's about his grace, God's grace. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, he, he said this, reflecting on this criminal. He says, Who is this that entereth the pearl gate at the same moment as the king of glory? Who is this favored companion of the Redeemer? Is it some honored martyr? Is it a faithful apostle? Is it a patriarch like Abraham or a prince like David? It is none of these. Behold and be amazed at sovereign grace. He that goeth in at the gate of paradise with the king of glory is a thief who was saved in the article of death. He is saved in no inferior way and 
received into bliss in no secondary style. Verily, there are last which shall be first. Jesus' companion, his only companion at his time of death, and his first companion in paradise is a thief. And Jesus promises him, certainly you'll be with me in paradise. And that's nice to say that, but actions speak louder than words. So not only did Jesus say it, but he lived it. So of course Jesus dies, but he rises again to new life. And the Bible teaches that because Jesus did that, that's proof. That's certainty. If Jesus rose again from the dead, he's the first fruits. He's the evidence. And that means that you can rise from the dead too. That there's life beyond the grave. He said it and he proved it by his resurrection. For us, I pray that this gives us confidence. Confidence that you can be so certain that God has you in life and death. You know that he holds your life so you can just live freely. You don't have to live with this weight of wondering if you're good enough. You're not. But his grace is. You, you can be confident in his grace. You don't have to strive to constantly try to earn God's favor. He's extending it to you freely. And you can live life and you can look at the world and you can be sad about the state of our world. You can be sad about the state of our nation. But you can have hope for this life and the life to come. We do not despair. Certainty. Truly, I tell you. So that's the first aspect of this, and I hope that would motivate you. The second aspect of Jesus' saying here is about immediacy. So we have certainty and we have immediacy. Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So what that means is when you die, you you are instantly in paradise with the Lord. You're not in some state of limbo or some place of purgatory or of, of punishment. You're not just asleep and, and sort of distant. You go straight to the paradise of God. Now, paradise is not a word that's used a lot in the Bible, at least in the New Testament, uh, just three times, but really synonymous with heaven. This is, we're talking about heaven. The key to paradise, or the, the, the key aspect of paradise, is not the place Where it is, it's who is there. Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's the with me part that's so important. Because we get to experience God perfectly and uninhibited. That's why the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5.8, he said, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He said, when your body dies, you're with the Lord. And actually, that's even better than life. It's not that life is bad or we should want to die, but there's beautiful hope to be in this unbroken fellowship with God, and we should yearn for it. That does keep us from despair. So whatever suffering you experience in your life, relationships or physical suffering or losses, that you know there's, there's future glory. But inevitably, people say, well, what's it going to be like? You know, who's going to be there? Will I know? Will I get to talk to my parents or my spouse who died? Or, you know, am I going to relate to people like I did here on earth? You know, what, what are we going to do? You know, Aunt Sally loved dancing. Will she be dancing in heaven? And, you know, Grandpa loved golf. I picture him golfing in paradise in heaven. And 
You know, even I, you know, we were looking at the Ezekiel thing, and I saw the fishing on the God's river. I'm like, yeah, I could do that for eternity. That sounds good. Um, and the thing is, the scriptures don't give us a lot of that. There is, it seems that in the life to come, people are interacting and living and working without toil, and th- that there's things going on, and, and so we do have hope that we are We will be reunited with those who have gone before, but the emphasis isn't on that. The emphasis is on Jesus is there. And the emphasis is on what's not there. So when the Bible talks about heaven, it uses negative language. For example, Revelation 21 says, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So it's it's what's not in heaven. The death and the crying and the... Peter wrote, 1 Peter 4, that in heaven there's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. The the Bible, God wants us to know that it's different. It's not, you're not going to see the decay like you see here. It's going to be a different life. But we also need to remember that this paradise of God, where you go and you die, is not the final destination. That we are destined for a new heavens and a new earth which have not been made yet, that Jesus is going to return and judge the world and those who have died and those who are still living will be brought together and live forever with the Lord in a newly created heavens and earth which are all connected in our new bodies which will be perfected uh, and will be, in, will be imperishable people in this new heavens and new earth. And that's the image. So... Wherever we go when we die is really still kind of a temporary place. And so we, sometimes we call this the intermediate state. Now, why, pastor, do you not preach about the intermediate state much? Well, the truth is the scripture doesn't talk a lot about it as its own thing. It's all one trajectory of eternal life with God. For those who have died, they're with him immediately. And they'll be with him when it's all finished. And, you know, those who happen to be living at that time will all be brought into it. It's one path of eternal life. And that's what we should hope for. So we don't need to hope for two different things. Okay, I have one hope right when I die, and then at some point later, another different hope. It's all one beautiful, continuous hope. And that destination is going to be beautiful and complete. So the good news about that, and where this drives it back into today is that means if we're on a trajectory of eternal life, then we can experience, in part, eternal life now. If I'm destined to live forever, I'm, in a sense, in fellowship with God now, living it now, and I'll continue to live it after my body is destroyed. Jesus said it like this in John 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He's saying eternal life is for the living and the dead. It's a life you can live now in a relationship with the God of the universe. So it's about today, and it's about this time tomorrow, and it's it's about all that God has in store for us now. We're not just waiting for a far-off thing. I remember my my friend and colleague, Brian Long. He was the youth pastor here a number of years ago. And he was speaking to a group of students, and he's sharing how he came to faith in Jesus. And he said, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Because I didn't want to go to hell. He said it was just fire insurance. This whole thing, the whole Jesus thing. 
He said, I want to go to heaven. I didn't want to go to hell, so I put my faith in Jesus. He said, that's a perfectly good reason to put your faith in Jesus. And it is. But as he lived his life of faith in Jesus, he realized there's so much more to it than just my eternal state. That I know God now, and that God is leading me now, and he's calling me to be part of his work now, and it will continue into the future. And um, So I just love the way he encapsulated that, because it was really... Um, it is about the future, but it's about today. It's immediate. It's certain, and it's immediate. So in conclusion, I mean, look at Jesus. He, you want to, he came to this world to seek and save people who were lost. He came here to proclaim and usher in God's kingdom. And there he is in his final breath, and he's still saving people. Like, Jesus, you've done enough. You've taught enough. But he's still, in whatever breath he has, he's seeking to save this one criminal who's putting his faith in Jesus, who believes in Jesus. And what if we took our role that seriously to minister to others? To say, God, you've given me breath today that I can speak the truth of your kingdom and your love to others. Every person you interact with this week coming up is a person with an eternal destiny. Every person you interact with this week is going to die someday. And it can, um, faith can happen quickly. Faith can, I mean, look at this thief. Faith can happen at any point in your journey, whether it's on your deathbed or who knows when. But when that, when God is stirring in someone's heart and faith comes and God is in, could be inviting you to be part of that, that if we would just go about the week and being alert, look at everybody around you, see them as people with eternal destinies and speak the truth of God's kingdom. Pray for opportunities to share it. Pray for those spiritual conversations to come up and just see how God, even with, see how God works even with unlikely people. A criminal is a very unlikely person to be sort of saint, you know, become kind of like a saint. The people around you who you think are so far from God, they might be so very close and you don't even know it. Watch for his work in that. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the certainty, the blessed assurance that we have in you. But Lord, help us to remember, remember it is not just for us. It is not for us to just enjoy or to think about the distant future, but for us to share, to see others gain that same faith and certainty that, you, um, that, that they are yours. Lord, so I pray that we would see it and that we would see it in new ways and just, Lord, that we would make the most of every opportunity that you put before us because you've given us life and we want to know and love and serve you in every way, Lord. So bless us to be agents of your kingdom as we go. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.